Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power? and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to The Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Today, I have with me a man who leads the charge to protect individual rights related to personal choices in health, nutrition, medicine, and food integrity. Since 1989, Scott Tipps has been the general counsel for the National Health Federation, the world's oldest health freedom organization for consumers, as well as the editor-in-chief of its magazine, Health Freedom News. In 2007, he became NHF president and has been a frequent speaker for the organization and for health freedom on several continents. Scott Tipps is a California licensed attorney who lives in Europe and who specializes in food and drug law, general business law, and engages with other nonprofit organizations with an international clientele. He lives in France most of the year. As a legal columnist, Scott writes a monthly column for Whole Foods Magazine called Legal Tips, a column he started several decades ago. Currently, he is primarily occupied with health freedom issues arising from national governments and such international organizations as the Codex Alimentarius, which is influenced by corporate giants that threaten national therapies and foods and limit individual freedom of choice in health matters. In that capacity, he has compiled, edited, and published a book on the subject entitled Codex Alimentarius, global food imperialism. He also attends Codex meetings worldwide on a regular basis. Welcome to the Nature of Healing podcast, Scott. Thank you very much, Roseanne. Well, before we begin, I also wanted to give a shout out to our friend Kat Carroll and NHF's executive director, who is also the managing editor for your quarterly journal and who also does so much for health freedom. Hey, Kat Carroll, wherever you are. And for those of you who don't yet know Scott or the work of the formidable National Health Federation, I encourage people to become a member at thenhf.com. So, with that, Scott, can you share some of uh, NHF's accomplishments under your leadership? Well, first of all, let me thank you for that really nice introduction and also for inviting people, your listeners, to join the National Health Federation. And I really um, appreciate that. So um, the National Health Federation is the world's oldest health freedom organization. It's been around since 1955. So what does that make us? Uh, 64 and a half years old. And we have had our fingers in many different health freedom pies from vaccine issues to legalizing laetril to protecting chiropractors from the predatory 
American Medical Association to getting fluoride out of public water supplies to dealing with all sorts of toxins, contaminant issues across uh, when they were spraying, uh, uh, what was it, melathion back in the, in the 60s, the NHF was there to protect the public and the like. And now one of the most current issues that we're dealing with are, is one that you alluded to on that, Roseanne, and that is the uh, Codex Alimentarius issue. And we have been cognizant of it since for several decades, but we've been actually participating in one way or another for 20 years at this point, and uh, <clears throat> actually 22 years now that I think about it. But some of our accomplishments, I'll just start with more recent ones because um, there are a number from, from the past which I've actually touched upon. But just for example, at the Codex Alimentarius, and for those of you out there who don't know, the Codex Alimentarius is uh, Latin for food code. And what it does is it establishes food standards and drink standards throughout the world. About 99.9% .9 of the world's population is covered by Codex. So what happens there globally really affects everyone on down to the individual in an individual city, county, state, uh, municipality. And so these things that go on where they are setting the standards, the food standards for at Codex really affect you directly. And one of the things that NHF did, uh, well, actually, I guess I did for NHF back in 2002 was after having served on the United States delegation for a number of years, uh, they got a little tired of me harping at them because they weren't exactly doing pro-health and pro-health freedom uh, things at Codex. So they kicked me off the U.S. delegation, but I was able um, through a fluke really to get the National Health Federation accredited by Codex so that we could start attending the meetings and speaking out uh, directly. And that is, we had the right to speak out almost as much, just as much really as the United States delegate. And keep in mind, all these country delegates are really represented by FDA type bureaucrats or USDA type bureaucrats at these meetings. So we were truly the only health and health freedom voice there at the meeting. So in, let's say, April 2008, for example, we had begun our loan campaign against, you know, neurotoxic aluminum in food additives. And at the Codex Committee on Food Additives, NHF began its campaign to remove those from food additives. You know, anything from salt to, to any kind of food additive that's, that's used in any kind of food product. And a lot of times, uh, aluminum is used because it makes the product flow better. This is one of the arguments that was made at the meetings. But after five years of fighting, uh, we were able to convince the European Union and some other delegations to support us. And we succeeded in achieving the removal of about 75% of the aluminum that's used in food additives. That is, 
about 50% of the food additives were outright removed from the marketplace. And the remaining 50% that still had aluminum in them had their aluminum levels reduced by half, cut in half. So, uh, Roseanne, I would consider that a victory. And about a year and a half later, in 2009, at the Dusseldorf uh, Codex Nutrition Committee meeting, we were able to single-handedly stop the reduction of nutrient reference values, what Codex calls NRVs, we would call in the United States, RDAs or RDIs, and recommended daily allowance, recommended dietary intake, but at Codex, they called them NRVs. Well, what these morons really wanted to do at Codex, especially the Australian delegation, is uh, dumb these down from, for example, with vitamin C to reduce it from an already laughable 60 milligrams a day down to 45 milligrams a day. Now, to the listeners, this may not seem too terribly relevant because like you, Roseanne, and uh, I'm sure they don't really pay much attention to the RDAs uh, on vitamins and minerals because we know we need for example, roughly 5,000 international units of vitamin D a day. We know unless we're out in the sun in the equatorial area region. And uh, we know we need a lot more than 60 milligrams of vitamin C a day. So we would just take what we need and not pay attention. But for the vast majority of the public, it does make a difference because they're looking at the label. They're going, oh, here's a, here's a, a, a drink that contains 100% of the RDA for vitamin C. I don't need any more. Let's go party. You know, this is their sort of uh, way of thinking. So the RDAs, the NRVs, are super important because once they get them down, then a lot of the population will go by them. And also, by the way, the upper limits that Codex and other so-called scientific bodies uh, used to set the limits on the upper limits is usually a multiple of the NRVs. So if you dumb down the NRVs, you're automatically dragging down the upper limits that are allowed in a lot of countries throughout the world. So it was super important. And I argued at this meeting in Dusseldorf, Germany for about an hour and was able to convince a couple of delegations to follow our lead, Iraq and Iran uh, and India, and also to get the chairman on my side, which was a huge accomplishment because he and I had been bitter enemies at many a Codex meeting, arguing back and forth for the previous you know seven years. So to get him on our side was quite an accomplishment. Anyway, to make a long story short, we were able to stop the momentum of of this sailing through codex and in a in the subsequent let's see it'd be about five or six years we are able to increase the the nrv for vitamin c by 220 percent and to prevent a lot of the other our our nrvs from being dumbed down so this is another one but you know we could spend the whole program going through a lot of this but um we've been successful at Codex. We were a major force in helping chiropractors become legally licensed in over 40 states. 
We pushed through legislative recognition of acupuncture, which hadn't been done before. And uh, the funny thing, Roseanne, is that after this victory at uh, the Dusseldorf meeting in 2009, we've gone almost every year, not every meeting admittedly, but every year with some sort of victory at Codex, so much so that the chairman and the chairwomen at these meetings are oftentimes very reluctant to call upon me to speak out at the Codex meetings. Uh, sometimes I have to uh, use subterfuge even to be able to speak out at the meeting. But we do submit documents. We do get country delegations to speak our words and the like. And then actually we've gotten the Codex Secretariat to come down hard on the um, Codex chairmen or chairwomen usually who don't like to let us speak out. So they they realize they have to <laughs> let us speak out. In fact, some of the chairmen are, are very solicitous of us. And if they even get a hint that we are miffed at not being able to speak at a certain time, they uh, apologize to us. That's really... Uh, really a difference, a difference there. So you really are remarkable to be in the position that you are and have that kind of influence. You, you obviously have the right balance to negotiate with, with multiple players and at different levels, you know, in the industry, from the industries to the different governments that you're faced with on the international level. Was this role created for you or did you create this role for yourself? Oh, I, I was, I was mentored by a lovely woman named Maureen Kennedy Solomon, who was very black and white in many ways. You were either for her or against her, and hence there are a lot of people, even today, who um, don't like her. But the one endearing thing about her is, well, there are many, multiple ones, but one endearing thing is she really didn't care. You know, she what she cared about was health and health freedom, and she really fought for that. She's really a role model for many people, especially women, but even, you know, for me, she was a, a great role model. But I actually got into the area, into the field, because of Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw, whom some of your listeners may know, but maybe not the more recent generation, because Dirk and Sandy wrote a book that was on the New York Times bestseller list for many, many weeks. Uh, called um, Life Extension, A Practical Scientific Approach. And this came out in May 1982. I'm even mentioned in the book several times. But the point of it is that when I graduated from law school at UC Berkeley uh, School of Law, I was doing just general litigation, particularly in uh, employment field. And Dirk said, Scott, you're in incredibly interested in health and nutrition, and you're now an attorney, why don't you do specialize in food and drug law? And I thought about it, and he was right. And I looked into it, and there was only one food and drug lawyer west of the Mississippi then practicing. So I took some courses. I studied under some um, really good Washington, D.C. food and drug lawyers. And um, started practicing food and drug law and 
1983 in uh, California. So I was one of the first two food and drug lawyers west of the Mississippi. The other guy was a retiree from the uh, FDA, and he had kind of an FDA mentality. In fact, he confided in me once, said, hey, I really don't believe in any of these products. And I said, oh, I can't believe you say that. I believe in them and I take them even. So um, maybe I was even the first one to believe in my clients and to actually really want to fight for their rights started. And then in doing so, some of my clients were members of the National Health Federation, in particular, in particular, a gentleman named Andrew um, McNaughton, Andy McNaughton, and he was from Canada. He was a former test pilot in Canada for the Royal Canadian Air Force. His father was the head of the Royal Canadian Air Force, at least for a time. And he was really <coughs> tightly involved with the NHF, and he got me, uh, along with some others involved. And then in 1989, I actually joined the board after having been with NHF, kind of on the sidelines, really, Roseanne, for about three years. But uh, that's the way it works there. You don't usually don't just immediately slide in. And it didn't happen that way for me either. But uh, there were some vacancies, and I occupied a vacancy for a while as on the board. Then I left the board because I was doing so much legal work for the NHF. I decided I didn't want there to be a conflict of interest, so I left the board. But then I came back in early nine early 90s, like late 1990, early 1991, was on the board again and have been ever since. Then when Maureen died in 2000, uh, August 17, 2006, then I became president uh, the following January after uh, the you know board had a meeting and voted. So I've been the president ever since. And that's it. But I had a good role model with Maureen and others. Andrew McNaughton was an incredibly influential as well. And uh, I was, interestingly enough, Roseanne, I was looking at some copies of the magazine that we send to members. If you're a member, you get the magazine, Health Freedom News. And in the magazine, of course, on the masthead is a list of the officers and directors. And I'm the only one left from those years from looking at the 1996 issues. And of course, I'm sure from the 1991, two, three, so on 1989 issue, even uh, I'm the only one left of all the members of the board uh, who is still on the board. So it's kind of sobering. You get a, you get a turnover and we always need, you know, fresh blood and, and people, but you have to be careful, of course, who you let on your board and, and um, it's important, but that's how I got my start. Long-winded explanation. <laughs> well, it's always interesting to hear your backstory, you know, and for people who don't know, and I didn't know, so that was, um, I think that's important because it shows the the history of, of you and the organization and, and basically the integrity you have for it and your integrity um, having been associated with that group for so long, it, it's really become, you know, you're almost uh, one in the same, you know, in, in some areas, I would say, as far as health freedom goes. It's funny you say that because I didn't really think about it too much. You 
are more thoughtful in that way than I am. But at the last Codex meeting, I shouldn't say, yeah, probably the last Codex meeting I went to, uh, it was either the German one or the one in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. But the Codex Secretariat, you know, who really runs the organization there, he made a comment, kind of offhanded comment to someone who was, whom I was talking with as he passed by, he said, oh, Scott is Mr. NHF at Codex. And uh, it was really uh, funny to hear that. And I thought about it. I thought, gosh, I guess I am Mr. NHF. Um, And it's funny that it came that way. But I guess it comes to everyone with their own organization at some time if you last long enough. But, you know, we need to have others involved as well. I won't be around forever. And um, uh, so... Well, while you are, you should have cards made up saying Mr. NHF and (laughs) (laughs) hand it out. So funny. Well, and of the many angles, uh, you know, you talked about codex. We could could discuss so many threats related to individual health freedom. I'm interested in your insight as to why the Swedish government is attempting to squash alternative medicine when it is the mainstream everywhere else in Europe. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's very funny because we do have a branch called NHF Sweden that's been highly successful. They were the lead opponents to the attempt by the Swedish government to do what's been done in California and in Italy, and that is extend the, well, really extend the vaccine mandate and to school children and to eliminate exemptions. And the NHF Sweden group, which is actually quite large, um, I forget how many members they have, but it's uh, just they alone are are about a thousand. But in any event, they squashed it there in Sweden. But what happened is, to answer your question, is that the Swedish government didn't, you know, rest there. They didn't take this defeat lightly. And they came up with something called the SOU report. I don't don't ask me what that means in Swedish because I don't know. Although the head of our Swedish group, Sarah Bo, would be able to explain it very very well. In any event, this uh, so SOU report came out of a government inquiry led by this gentleman known as uh, I guess his name is Kajel Asplund, and Doctor, and I emphasize the word doctor, Dr. Asplund is, uh, as you can imagine, a product of the Swedish medical education system. And he's been highly indoctrinated in the drug uh, cartel, the um, so-called legal drug cartel. And it's an attempt, just plain and simple, to squash the competition. That's what happens. You know, that's that's what happens when you have a government that has these kind of powers. You have the the ones who can't quite hack it in the marketplace, or at least don't want to have to trouble themselves with competition. They go running and crying to the government regulators who are nothing more than, than their thugs and henchmen, and they ask for protection from competition. So Cam you know, complementary and alternative medicine has been very successful in Sweden. I've been 
familiar with it since the late 80s because when I uh, went to Sweden in the late 80s for that very purpose for a client of mine when I was practicing uh, more actively in the food and drug law area and uh, consulted with a lot of the alternative practitioners back then. But in any event, the Sioux report came out and said, look, we've got to um, take away any rights to for complementary and alternative practitioners to call themselves that and to do anything. And there's a laundry list of what they can't do. Now, some is something that won't impact CAM practitioners, like they can't you know, perform surgery, they cannot uh, prescribe drugs. Uh, who cares about that? They don't really, they aren't interested in that. But where it really touches home, hits home, is that it gets into areas that impinge upon their ability to prescribe herbs, to uh, even say that something is a disease or a disorder and to then make a recommendation on that. So this is where it's, it's bad. But this is still an ongoing process. And NHF Sweden is fighting it very hard there. And we hope that they'll enjoy the same success that they enjoyed earlier. And so part of what we're doing there is pointing out that, look, what the Swedish government is trying to do is actually illegal under the European Union's laws because those preempt the Swedish law. And as much as we may not like the EU in, in certain areas, uh, they do have some good uh, points. And one of them is that there should be a free flow of pra practice and treatment of patients across the borders. And this, in fact, is a EU law. And by making this sort of proposal, the Swedish government is actually violating EU law. So I think when the, um, when the law is litigated, as it probably will be at the, at the EU level, then it'll be shown that it is, uh, the Swedish law has violated basic principles of the EU treaty and it will be ruled illegal and it will be annulled. So I think we'll win on that. It'll be a long battle perhaps, but um, but I think ultimately we will we will win on that because um, it, it's it's just basically wrong. People should have the right, as I know you agree, Roseanne, that they should be able to choose their own health care system or own health care modality that they want to do it's their body and they should have that right to do it if they want to choose chemotherapy they should have that right if they don't want to choose chemotherapy or to be in injected with toxic vaccines then they have that right as well so um, that's where it stands on on that so it's an ongoing battle and the outcome is not yet determined but i think we can see the handwriting on the wall because of the eu laws that that are in place right now. Well, that's good to hear. And yes, I totally wholeheartedly agree with you that everybody should have a choice to choose their own medicines, their own foods. And you know that I work with the National Health um, Freedom Coalition here in the States, and we are working to protect choice for consumers and for practitioners to be able to 
practice their work, their medicine. Uh, I'm a naturopath in Wisconsin, and uh, I'm working at legislative level myself to try to um, protect my right to practice and, and my right to actually access other holistic healers. I mean, the fact that we have to work at this level to protect these rights is is not saying a lot of good things about where this these governments are taking people that we have to fight for the right to choose, basically protect our freedoms or we don't have them. And on the world stage, you know, my concern is that the world stage appears to be shrinking. You know, Europe has morphed into the EU. And while you say that those EU laws are protecting people in Sweden, for instance, are these UN policies potentially homogenizing laws across the continents? So what are your thoughts and feelings on the agenda to create a one world government? Could the the EU laws morph into something more insidious? Absolutely. And I'm not saying the EU is a good thing. It's just with a lot of bad things, there's often a silver lining in the cloud. And in a sense, you can stand back and almost laugh at it because they are shooting themselves in their, in their own feet with these protective EU laws that can be used against them. So um, kind of the law of unintended consequences. But yes, I see and have seen and uh, even my father inculcated in me to have seen this when I was quite young, that um, there's this big drive to one world government and it's unrelenting. I mean, it has setbacks every now and then. It suffers setbacks and we're looking at them occasionally. And I think, uh, I think there are major problems with the EU that will cause it to spin apart and, and uh, not hold together, not just the Brexit thing that is the current sort of bugaboo for everyone, but uh, but really just the mere fact that they've introduced so many uh, non-Europeans into Europe and are letting them stay there is going to cause enormous problems, already has, but certainly enor- more problems for the EU in the future when the demographics keep running against the native Europeans in Europe. And we'll see a takeover, we'll probably see a civil war. In fact, if any of you have seen the movie Children of Men with Clive Owen in it, um, if you remember that scene where it's set in England for the most part, where the um, jihadist army, which is quite powerful, is fighting the British army for control of a certain part of a city. I mean, that's the future of Europe. If it's not turned around, on a dime and right now that's the future of Europe and uh, so it will spin apart regardless of its own internal contradictions within the uh, European Union it will spin spin apart and will be um, destroyed it will be fractured so we have that to look forward to in the future and maybe our children do Uh, when the demographics turn against Europe. And we see it happening in the United States as well. It's already been going on. The U.S. is just uh, a bit behind the European Union in that respect. Yeah, we're a a microcosm here of what's happening worldwide, really, under the U.N. agenda. And um, at least for some of the people who are watching it, you know, who 
you have a bird's eye view, really. You're, you're an American living in, in Europe. You're seeing what's going on in the ground there. What do you see as the most pressing issues going forward? Well, the most pressing issue really is, well, let me approach it a different way. By, and I appreciate what you said about being sitting in the cockpit here in Europe, and it is true. I, you know, one never really understands one's own country unless you've lived outside and looked, looked from outside inside. And <clears throat> I hate to say that, but I even believed it before I lived outside the country. And it is true. You get a real perspective on things. And if I were a Frenchman, I would want to live outside of France in order to see and understand the country better. But the perspective is that from here is that especially in attending codex meetings and the others, you see increasing numbers of toxins and contaminants being introduced into food and water and into the very air that we breathe. You see increased electromagnetic you know, fields and radiation that affects our bodies and uh, our thinking. And you see that the nutrient intake, either directly from the foods we eat or from the supplements that we wish to take, are being reduced and dumbed down. You see that people are being having vaccines, very toxic, contaminated, dangerous, unhealthy, how many more adjectives can I put in front of that? Vaccines that are being injected forcibly into people um, and without their informed consent. And if you drew these as intersecting circles, right there, square in the middle, you would see the word fertility. And all of these things are reducing the world's fertility. And you see more and more couples having problems giving birth to children. You see more and more children being damaged and harmed in utero. And uh, you see more and more, I probably could have added the, the you know, abortion, um, abortion market and factory that's out there as well to reduce the world's population that's really impacting the fertility of everyone that's sort of the one common denominator out there we could probably argue as well and some have argued that the other common denominator is making us more docile and um, dumbed down mentally uh, you see that from the fluoridation of the water supply which i could have added in as yet another uh, concentric circle there, or at least intersecting circle, aspartame, artificial sweeteners and the like, glyphosate as one of the toxins in our food, all of those add up to reducing fertility. You know, it causes a lot of other harm along the way, but I think the goal of whomever's out there doing this, whomever's been instructed to do it, is to reduce the world's fertility, and they've been quite successful at it in many ways. Now, will they get desperate and introduce other means such as wars and, and the like, perhaps? Um, but uh, that seems to be one of the common things that's going on. Now, the pressing issues are those intersecting circles that I mentioned, and that is, um, you know, everything from fluoride, aspartame, vaccines, uh, glyphosate, the EMFs that we deal with, smart meters, 5G, 
all of these things that are either in the fact or or in the future near future those are all things that we're fighting for and i appreciate and i want to commend as our fellow freedom fighters out there the national health freedom coalition and national health freedom action out there it's doing a superb job of helping to protect the public and protect consumers and protect individuals from uh, these things that are going on that are all harmful to our health and even killing us i mean just look how many elderly have i known who two weeks after getting the flu injection they end up dead i've seen this time after time after time and when my own mother unbeknownst to me and quite elderly got a flu injection i was like watching the calendar for the two-week period to come and have her die and i really was quite angry at her because of this uh having done this but fortunately she's a pretty sturdy soul and nothing happened to her at that time that was a couple of years ago so it doesn't happen universally but really all these things that are done to to harm people it's it's just absolutely criminal and it really needs to be stopped and people need to be educated insofar as they can be warned against these things and prevented from you know harming themselves unknowingly by being in the line of fire from these toxins and contaminants. Yes, you have a conscience, Scott Tips, and you're highly perceptive of what's happening in the environment and, and how the environment impacts our bodies. You're also very conscious about the soul level. You know, you, you represent a minority of souls on this planet who are really aware of what's happening on many levels and you are trying to do the work of an army of of people and really what we should be what you should be in is is an example for other people to emulate other people can't depend on you as one person to protect the world i mean even though that's (laughs) what we all like to believe you know that certain people can wear these capes and protect everybody else just like in the movies or on in the cartoons it just doesn't work that way you are there as a force and a very effective force and you are meant to be emulated and so people listening to you talk they don't they don't just need to you know applaud your efforts which i believe they should but they need to get up and activate themselves and i've tried to do that in my limited capacity here you know in wisconsin um i agree with you that our work at national health freedom action and coalition and your work align beautifully and we need more people to join us to join your group um, just financially to help you do what you do so well um, and yes Thank the, you for that. Thank yeah the, the you make a great point about all the toxins that we're taking into our bodies from the air from the same toxins in a vaccine are coming down in the sky Glyphosate has been found in vaccines. That alone can, you know, induce infertility. So there is this agenda to prevent the continuation of the human species. I really believe it. I mean, we can just say that outright. I think so. And, you know, one thing I forgot about mentioning, Roseanne, is that all the xenoestrogens out there that are causing a lot of this gender confusion and that are causing 
men to be like women and women to be like men. It's just amazing what's going on with that. And you can get that just from drinking tap water with the hormones that are in, that are not filtered out of the public water supply. And uh, a lot of the other uh, plasticizers that we come in contact with and the like plastics, which are highly xenoestrogenic. And um, this is a problem as well, contributing to the lowered fertility, because if you cause, I think what they realize is if you can cause uh, the polarity between masculine and feminine, between male and female to be reduced down, then there will be fewer couples because people will not be so attracted to the opposite sex. There won't be kids resulting from that attraction and children resulting from offspring resulting from that attraction. And so this is part of the agenda as well is to encourage a lot of these so-called non-binaries out there and transgenders and the like, and to make a more androgynous society. And in doing so, you're, you know, people are less able to recognize potential partners in that kind of a, of a soup. And this just fits the bill for them, along with all the other problems that they're throwing our way, all the other um, toxins and contaminants that they throw our way. Anyway, I just wanted to interject. Yeah, that's excellent. I love talking about that next level because that's when you ask all these questions, when people are confused by what's happening with the laws, how we're, we're, we're limited in, in what our rights are now and where this is going, you have to go to that next dot, you know, connect the next dot to say that where else are we going but a transhumanist uh, world where if we can't procreate anymore as human species, what's left for us? Well, they'll roll out the solution, which is merging with AI, merging with machines or a transhumanist agenda. And that is a UN agenda based on the dots that I've connected. I know it's a little stretch. It's a little reach for me to say that, but Patrick Wood, I believe, is one who who writes about this. There are people talking about this just as you have described uh, how we are changing the human body. And, and we see it in the environment when, when the fish are being feminized by all the hormones in the water. We are seeing the same things in our species. Yes, it's so true. And this is increasing. It's not decreasing, unfortunately. So we really need to do something. What was it? I heard just the other day that by there is a projection, who knows if this is true or not, but at least, you know, underscores the problem. And that is that by 2050, there will be more plastic in the oceans than there will be fish. And, um, you know, it has a ring of truth to it, whether it's actually a true figure or not, I don't know. But uh, like I said, it underscores the problem of plastics in the ocean, the fish are eating them. When you eat fish, you eat plastic a lot of times. Now, some are arguing it's harmless, it just goes through your system. But at the same time, that's a xenoestrogen. And that is affecting people hormonally. So and fish hormonally, as you pointed out and, you know, uh, sea mammals and the like. So, Yeah, speaking of the sea, uh, some people claim that the Celtic salt is now full of, you know, nanoplastics. Mm, yeah, I've heard that, and that's why some are recommending Himalayan mountain salt instead, which uh, um, could be true, I, I don't know. But the, um, 
it is still, again, it highlights us being careful about what we put into our bodies and what we eat. And it's more increasingly important to eat organic and be sure that it's truly organic. Uh, That was one of the battles we were fighting at Codex as well, where they wanted to, um, a lot of the players wanted to sneak in GMO foods under the definition of the definition of biofortification and NHF and some others were able to stop it at the last meeting in December of last year, 2018. And uh, they're still fuming over that, just like they fumed over the zilpaterol battle. Zilpaterol is another xenoestrogen. They give it to cattle. It's sort of like um, cattle and pigs and turkeys. It beefs them up. I call it the Arnold Schwarzenegger drug. And this uh, increases their muscle mass and decreases their fat tissue. So, um, you know, breeders like to use this. You put it in the animal feed, but you can't give it to them. Usually there's a two-week cutoff period before slaughter, the time of slaughter, so that all the additives and drugs that are in the animal system will clear out. Well, in this case, it doesn't work for zilpaterol and for ractopamine, which is a cousin of zilpaterol. They're both uh, uh, steroid-like drugs that are given to animals for just this effect. So they have to give it to the animal almost up to the time of slaughter. And when they do that, there's a large amount of residue in the tissue that people eat. Anyone eating sausage or, or bacon in the U.S. is almost certainly being dosed with ractopamine, um, and they are getting doses of this. It can cause increased heartbeat and uh, rapid heartbeat in humans. But the important thing is when you add this to all the other contaminants that people are consuming, you have a real cocktail that is harming people's health and is affecting their fertility. And this is why at the last meeting of the vet residue of vet drugs and foods committee meeting, it's kind of a mouthful there and a tongue twister. But in any event, at the meeting in Chicago in April 2018, NHF almost single-handedly was able to stop Zilpaterol from being approved for global distribution. And Merck, who is the maker of uh, uh, the Merck drug company, who's the maker of Zilpaterol, was furious. They'd sunk millions into getting this approved at the Codex meeting. And we just stomped it into the ground. And uh, so what did they do, Merck, of course, with their dirty tricks? They went up to the codex science officer and said, look, uh, NHF on social media is called your science, codex science, junk science. And uh, went up to the codex secretariat and said, oh, here's a, showed him a picture on the iPhone. Here's a picture of you with Scott Tips. Oh, this not look good. Uh, so this all happened just before the lunch hour. I went to lunch, came back, and um, we we saw, our delegation saw that uh, people were applauding uh, something that, because came in late, were applauding something that um, the Codex Science Officer had said. And he was basically saying that NHF is a bad organization because it called our science junk science and our science is good science. You know, didn't mention the part that they rely on industry studies, didn't mention how uh, 
influenced they are by industry and how they find all these bad things like glyphosate, aspartame, uh, you name it, to be perfectly safe and, and consumable by humans and animals. And so didn't mention any of that. But anyway, uh, the Merck representative there, he comes up and chortles in my ear that, oh, now everyone here hates you as if uh, we were there to win some sort of popularity contest. But you know what? <clears throat> we won and he lost. Now, as Winston Churchill said, no victory is ever final and it's true. So at the upcoming meeting in late May of uh, next year, they don't meet every year, but in this particular committee, some committees do, this one doesn't. But at the next uh, committee meeting, we will be having to fight this battle again. And so this is why I really appreciate when you say, please support NHF, because, you know, we don't have government money. We don't have big corporate money to send us to these meetings. And it takes money. These cost thousands of dollars to attend without people going to our website and donating or sending, calling in our office. We don't go and things don't happen to, to like victories like this. I'm glad you said that um, because you have to face these people and, you know, we don't have to face them. You get to do this dirty work for us. And your work has obviously created some enemies among those at the highest levels of industry and government since you have been so successful over the years. I'm curious, Scott, do you ever feel threatened? Well, it's kind of funny. Some of these people are are. My opponents are like uh, a brother to me. They they haven't talked to me in ten years, but no, I'm I'm just teasing. <laughs> them but, uh, no, not really. But you do have to. I mean, in a sense, you know, I had a car catch fire mysteriously about ten years ago and burn burn up to a crisp while I was driving it. Of course, I stopped and got out, so I'm still here. But <laughs> who knows the origin of that? But the uh, but yeah, I mean, people will hate NHF, hate us, all the members of our delegation at the meetings. There will be some who really love us to pieces. And uh, fortunately, we're very lucky because the Codex Secretariat has a very neutral position. And so they aren't uh, unfair to us at all. And they treat us the same as they do treat others. But the chairmen and the chairwomen are a different story. It depends upon those. They don't threaten us, but some are friendly or at least neutral and others are unfriendly and definitely uh, unfriendly. But uh, in terms of threatening, I'm sure as things continue, we will see, see that such as this Merck representative who um, was there and, and made these outlandish claims against us. Uh, uh, who knows what, what they could do. I'm not saying they have done it anything Right. Strictly, but um, well, they must feel threatened. I mean, for them to act out or to yes. you know to say things like that, they must feel threatened. They're grasping, so yeah. it it is incumbent on everybody to um, to do more. You know, do more than what they've been doing before. I mean, the awareness is is at a height, and more people understand how their rights are being restricted. Uh, so now is is a great time for humanity, I think, if we can step up to the plate. Um, when you travel, do you, do you often travel by car then, or do you travel by train? How, how do you travel? 
You mean to these meetings? Yes. Yeah. Um, and also I give speeches around around the world, and so I, I travel to those as well. I, I usually fly, but it can range from taking the Paris Metro to a meeting, like to the Codex Committee on General Principles meeting that's usually held in Paris. It can range from taking the Metro there to taking a train for a longer distance when they had the Nutrition Committee meeting of Codex in, in Hamburg, Germany. I just took a train train there. Um, but usually I fly, and uh, so I, I fly pretty extensively. And uh, I don't think I've ever driven to a meeting. That's an interesting question, but I think that's coming up this fall because of a, where the Nutrition Committee meeting will be held this year. Well, we want you fresh when you arrive, so yeah. it's better not to drive yourself. Yeah, it is. Well, the hardest meetings are the ones held in China or um, Thailand or the like, because those uh, are not only expensive, but they take uh, you know a while to get adjusted to the local time zone once you arrive. Hmm. So, one last question for you. Um, since the work that you do is so serious, how do you find balance? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, how do I find balance? Well, I would say I just interrupt the work at times with doing other things, reading and writing and that sort of thing. But a lot of that can be interpreted as work. So what's the balance? Do you eat well? I do eat well for the most part, not always, but I take a ton of supplements and, um, you know, I have the, the really, I'm in the good graces of friends such as yourself and, and others. And that's always good energy. Um, and, uh, so I, I don't think that I overwork myself. So maybe that's a, a key right there. I, um, I, I really do pace myself, so that's good. And then, you know, working on the NHF magazine, Health Freedom News, and uh, working, uh, you know, writing a column for Whole Foods magazine, that helps me put, helps put myself in touch with, um, with other, uh, you know, parts of me that doesn't have to be contentious or maybe feel like I'm on the line somewhere, so. Right. It all evens out, but you're right. And thank you for mentioning about the dietary part. I think that's important. Well, you sound very grounded, Scott, so you must be doing something right. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be in grounded company. <laughs> thank you. And Scott, thank you so much for being with me from across the pond to not only educate everybody on these important issues, but just, you know, describing the work that you do and how, um, how anybody can really support what you do and not have to leave the country. Because really, you know, we want to be able to be free in our country and continue uh, what we what it is we're here to do. And you allow, you know, on a to a large extent, you allow us to do that. So thank you so much on many levels. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roseanne. And I appreciate your doing this, this uh, broadcast and 
having me on. I really do. Thank you. So how can people support the National Health Federation? Well, they can definitely go to our website, thenhf.com. So that's T-H-E, and then our initials, N like Nancy, H like Harry, F like Frank. So thenhf.com. Go to the donation page and donate. But as you said at the very beginning, it's actually important to join. And when you join as a member, you're making a real difference in the world in terms of a direct contact from us to Codex to really 7 billion souls worldwide. And we've seen it time and time again where people who have donated to us just by um, going online or mailing in a check or people who have joined have made the difference between us going to the meetings, these Codex meetings, and actually turning the tide at the meeting, like we did with the Zilpaterol standard that they were trying to pass worldwide. And we were able to make a difference there, like we did with the nutrient reference values and the others. And I always tell this tale, so I hope you don't mind my saying it again, that we had a gentleman in Dublin who gave us $1,000 to go to that meeting in um, Dusseldorf to fight uh on the nutrition committee meeting and by going there uh, and then by my arguing for that solid hour against the NRVs being lowered, you know, I became the visible hero of that. But really the hero was the guy who gave us a thousand dollars to let me go. So this is a way by joining NHF, by donating to NHF is a way for everyone out there to be a hero and to make a, a real direct and, and definite difference in the world by doing so, just like this gentleman did with the NRV issue, which we wouldn't have been there to have made it if it hadn't been for him. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to donate $1,000, but 10 individuals donating 100 gets us there, or 100 individuals donating $10 gets us there. So it all makes a difference. It does. Thank you again for making that point and for your dedication and and all the important work that you do, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Roseanne, for saying that. My pleasure. And until next time, healers, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath at natureofhealing.org, where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.